Good morning, everyone. Bang, bang. This week is shaping up to be one of the most historic in modern monetary history. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is set to deliver a speech on Thursday that will outline a significant change in the way that the organization thinks about inflation and their annual targets. This speech will be part of the Fed's virtual conference that is replacing their traditional get-together in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Rumors are Powell's speech is titled Monetary Policy Framework Review and will specifically focus on increasing inflation as a means of creating a better economic environment. There's only one problem, though. History tells us that decreasing inflation is not only better for the bottom 50% of Americans, but it is also creates a stronger outcome over the long run. In order to understand why the upcoming decision is so important, we must first take a trip back in history to October 1979. Paul Volcker had been Federal Reserve Chairman for a mere two months, but he was quick to realize the errors of his predecessors. They had allowed and even encouraged high levels of inflation. Here is the St. Louis Fed summary of how bad the situation was at the time. The inflation rate, a mere 1% in 1965, hit 14% by 1980. Unemployment trended up from a low of 3.5% annual average in 1969 to 9.7% in 1982. The stock market was in the dumps. Oil prices jumped off the charts. Presidents Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter became desperate enough to tinker with price controls, the result being disastrous. So Paul Volcker immediately made a number of tough decisions upon assuming the chairmanship. The first decision was to ignore the short-term impact of any monetary policy decisions and optimize for long-term economic strength. The second decision was to stop obsessing over a low interest rate environment, which shifted the focus to the money supply. The impact of these decisions are hard to comprehend in today's world of instant gratification. Volcker essentially took the hard road in the short term so the U.S. economy could be healthier over time. This short-term difficulties included a transition from the easy, cheap credit environment to an expensive credit environment. Prime lending rates were over 20%. Unemployment reached double-digit numerous times, and the dollar severely weakened in foreign exchange markets. Ultimately, Paul Volcker oversaw two economic recessions before his policies had the intended impact of creating a prosperous market and economy. Think about how difficult that would be in the current world. A Federal Reserve chairman choosing to pursue the current yet unpopular decisions. Leadership that optimized for long-term strength rather than short-term pain mitigation. It is nearly impossible to fathom the idea that any politician or Federal Reserve member would be willing to oversee two separate economic recessions in order to put the United States back on track. So what exactly happened once the United States got through the short-term pain? We had an incredible economic boom cycle starting in the 1980s and carrying through the 1990s. The economy had found solid footing. There was a direct relationship between Volcker's decisions and the economic boom, stabilized prices, and general prosperity of the United States. As I've learned more about Paul Volcker and the drastic measures he took, one paragraph from the St. Louis Federal Reserve stood out to me. Here's what they said about the lessons learned. Quote, for starters, ideas matter. Bad economic advice, much of it from economists, contributed greatly to policy mistakes in the pre-Volcker days. Keynesian economics had been in vogue by then for decades. This school, graduated, or this school argued that the government could tax and spend its way to full employment. Inflation was acceptable if it put more people to work. Thankfully, such thinking had been discredited today, although our economic models still need improvement, end quote. Read through that paragraph again. Keynesian economics had been in vogue. Government could tax and spend its way to full employment. Inflation was fine as long as more people went back to work. Sounds familiar, right? My greatest fear is that the United States is about to make the same mistake that we made decades ago. Rather than allowing the current economic reality of low inflation and high unemployment to naturally correct itself in the market, the Federal Reserve feels compelled to intervene. This interventionism is a, hum a natural human emotion. We feel like we lack control if we do nothing in uncertain times. Remember, though, just because we have the urge to act doesn't mean that we should. That won't matter when Jerome Powell takes the stage on Thursday. According to Jeff Cox at CNBC, 
Here's what the current Fed chairman is going to do in plain English. Quote, simply it means that the Fed, which has pegged 2% as a healthy level, will let inflation run higher than that for a while if it has spent a considerable time beneath that level. The Fed's preferred inflation gauge has stayed below that level for all but two years since the Great Recession ended in mid-2009. It's a mirror image reversal of Volcker's inflation busting and sets the stage for a pivotal policy move, end quote. This obvious return to Keynesian economics is likely to be a disaster. You can't use government through taxation and spending to drive economic growth. We know this because many people in the past have tried it, which has led to major problems. So why exactly are we going to try this failed experiment again? One reason may be because the monetary policy decisions are being made by someone who isn't an economist. Wait, what? Yes, many people forget that Jerome Powell is not nearly as well-versed in economic policy as his predecessors have been. In fact, he is the first Fed chairman in 40 years that is not an economist. Now, it is no secret that I am no fan of most academic economists, but I would argue that Powell's private equity experience lends itself to a worldview that continues the status quo of making the rich richer and the poor poor. Let me explain. As we've discussed ad nauseum in this letter over the last few months, inflation is not experienced equally. The lower socioeconomic classes in an economy will experience higher levels of inflation than their fellow citizens that are better off financially. This happens because the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to have your net worth tied up in real assets rather than cash. You're almost guaranteed to have an inflation-adjusted wage contract, and you tend to be more financially educated on how money and inflation works. So when the Federal Reserve and U.S. politicians decide to create a high inflation environment, they are essentially pumping asset prices at the same time that they are hitting the lowest socioeconomic classes with a hidden tax. The rule of thumb is that interventionism economics, regardless of the policy, always requires an increased tax on some portion of the population. Sometimes it rears its head as an explicit in increase in tax on earnings, and other times it shows itself in the invisible theft of purchasing power. To be honest, I'm concerned about the road we are heading down for a number of reasons. First, the constant manipulation of the U.S. economy through a monetary policy is only weakening the efficacy of central bankers' tools in the long run. This virus-related, government-induced economic slowdown is painful, but our inability to endure short-term pain for long-term gain is going to serve as a serious problem down the road. Second, the wealth inequality gap is about to get significantly larger. The Federal Reserve is going to decimate an entire generation and set entire socioeconomic classes back a decade or more in terms of progress. The continued abuse of our inflationary currency creates a financial incentive for the organizations in charge to accelerate the transfer of wealth from those at the top to those at the bottom. Lastly, the United States is merely speeding up the inevitable demise of the U.S. dollars, the global reserve currency, and the economic power that comes with it. History shows us that the continued devaluation of a currency ends up ultimately being a death march, so the pursuit of higher inflation will only turn that march into an all-out sprint. The strengthening or weakening of the U.S. dollar is always relative to other currencies, but the monetary policy path we are going down may be the most aggressive globally. The U.S. economy is a complex beast. There are many intricacies and nuances. It is nearly impossible for one person, one group, or one organization to have enough control of the tools to increase or decrease growth, leveraging only interest rates and quantitative easing. We can do our best to change directions, but there's a low likelihood that we will be able to stop inflation at 2.5% and not let it run to 3% or more. While I spoke highly of Paul Volcker earlier in this piece, it is important to remember that he was the same person who advised President Nixon to abandon the gold standard. This is a great example of how difficult it is for any central banker to make good decisions after good decision. The system is just too complex. Rather than continue a culture of interventionism, we should be moving back to a, free, a world of free markets and true capitalism. Unfortunately, we have seen the exact opposite over the last few months. Most of the capitalists on Wall Street revealed themselves to be socialists, and the Fed's policies were the main driving force behind billionaires in the U.S. increasing their wealth by more than $500 billion, while over 50 million Americans lost their jobs. Our economy and the central bankers overseeing it need to become a little more pain tolerant. 
Just as Paul Volcker was willing to sustain the short-term pain of two economic recessions in pursuit of a strong economic foundation, we should be willing to withstand the current environment without succumbing to the urge of intervention. Let the free market work. Get out of the way. Stop pumping trillions of dollars into the economy. While While it feels good to say, look what we're doing, the reality is that the United States will be paying for these sins for decades to come. That's it for today. Before I let you go, I've created a referral program for the POMP letter. I think it is really important for more people to learn about money and how the economy works. Financial education is one of the easiest ways for us to create a more equitable world. To incentivize people to share the information with others, I've created this referral program that rewards you for sharing the POMP letter. The rewards include everything from virtual coffee with me to being flown to New York City and hanging out for a day. You can sign up for the referral program in the email. That's it for today, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.